Welcome to High Notes with Dr. B, a podcast about brave, courageous, risk-taking women. I want to help us all live a courageous life by challenging you and me about all aspects of our lives. I will feature guests who are guaranteed to inspire you. I will also discuss and review a new book by women. My goal is to challenge myself and you to think about the world around us and lead a life that is about changing for the better. Hi, Kai. This is Kai Tyson. Thank you so much for joining me this morning on Welcome to uh, High Notes with Dr. B. And I am excited for people to hear about what you do in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I'm going to let you take it from here and tell us all about your services. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Dr. B. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I just want to make sure, can you hear me okay? Yep. I, that's much better. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so yes, like Dr. B said, I am Kai Tyson. I am the founder and CEO of Kaluntu Reproductive Justice Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so Kaluntu Reproductive Justice Center is not a physical center yet. Um, it is, it is, it's more than wishful thinking. It is a speaking into existence. Um, but we, we are a services and events hub that serves families in Atlanta as well as birth workers. Um, and so a little bit of a background on Kaloon 2. We've been around since 2018. Um, in its current iteration as a center, um, we've been around since October 2019. Um, and Kaloon 2 is a word in the language of Osa um, that means community. So um, that language, if you want to Google it, it is a South African language, um, X-H-O-S-A. Um, and Kaluntu means community. And so the cornerstone of what we do, everything that we do is rooted in community and in um, people finding true belonging with other families like them. Um, so what I found in a lot of spaces. So I identify as uh, queer and non-binary. Um, and so I became a doula. Um, I became a birth worker and I, I went into these spaces and I was like, wow, this is really, really straight. Like it's really, really um, like it's, it's, you know, the, it's one thing to just walk down the street and like see, you know, straight people holding hands or something, but like in birth working spaces and in birthing spaces, there's a lot of conversations about like mom and dad and husband and, you know, breastfeeding and all these different things. And is it a boy or is it a girl? And like, there was just a lot of like, a lot of um, language and a lot of mm, attitudes maybe is the right word that, that maybe labeling welcoming to me as a person. Certainly yeah, labeling. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so it didn't feel comfortable to me. It didn't feel good to me as a person who who does not fit in those neat categories. Um, and so I 
figured, you know, if, if I'm feeling this way, I can only imagine if you are a family that's pregnant or that has kids or is in the process of, you know, trying to conceive or trying to adopt or whatever the case is, and that you have to navigate these spaces and people are like, oh, is dad excited? And it's like, well, there's, you know, it's me and my wife or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, and so I wanted to create a space for people like me um, who have families. Um, and I actually don't have kids. Um, and sometimes people, they, they assume that if you work in the birthing world that you have kids or that you um, want kids or, you know, whatever. And it's not that I don't want kids. I'm, I'm actually on the fence about that. But um, I see myself as an auntie. Like auntie is a very important word for me. Um, it's very culturally um, mm -hmm. significant in mm -hmm. a lot of communities of color. Um, but yeah, in my family, I have, I have four siblings and they all have at least two kids. So I'm an auntie to, I think nine or 10 is what we're up to now, kids. Um, and so, and then of course I have friends with kids and I have, you know, cousins and other family members with kids. And I've, I feel um, like an unofficial auntie to like all these kids. And, and I just think about like my job as an aunt, yeah, I get to like take the kids out for ice cream and then drop them back off, sure. But my job as an aunt is to, is to help you be the best parent that you can be. Um, in addition to helping, you know, being there for the child and being there for the kids and, you know, taking them out and having a good time and all that. But like, yeah, helping the parents be the best parents they can be. So for me, that's kind of how I approach my business as well. How can I help you be the best parent that you can be? How can I help you have the family that you want and have the family that you need? Um, and so the first set of events that we started doing um, was Meet the Doulas. So I heard of it from a Facebook watch um, show about doulas and, you know, someone said that that's how they met their doula in, um, in New York. And so I Googled it to see if there were any events similar in Atlanta and someone had had one in like three or four years back. Um, but I decided to, um, rent out a room at the library and put out some social media posts and you know see what happened and um the first meet the doulas had four people but it was also in december so it probably i've learned that december is not a great month for events unless they're holiday themed um but the since the first one it slowly started growing and um so then i started to kind of become known for meet the doulas but um I was finding that there were other needs around um, doulas needing information about how to successfully run a business. Um, so a how is us, a doula different than a midwife? Oh, that's a great question. Um, a doula is a, a birth helper, um, I would say, that works specifically with the family. So doulas don't, for the most part, sometimes hospitals will have a doula, but doulas usually don't work through the hospital. Um, so the doula, if you think about um, giving birth in a hospital, there's you, whoever's the person giving birth, your partner, maybe your mom, sister, you know, whoever you invite to be there pre-COVID. Now it's, you know, just one partner or one mm -hmm. person. Um, but 
then there's the doctors and the nurses and all that. Their job is to help you safely have the baby, but their job is not necessarily to attend to you, to you emotionally. Um, your partner and your partner might be amazing, might be wonderful, but let's face it, your partner is there for communication because everyone is calling and texting the partner. Oh, how far along is she? And you know, what, what is the doctor saying? And so the partner is on comms. So the partner is the person who's doing press releases to the family. The partner is, you know, going on food runs and, you know, all those types of things. Um, so a, a doula or fainting. can be there. Or fainting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it depends on the strengths. You know, maybe you could do the communication from the waiting room if you, uh, yes. that's not your thing. Right. But, <laughs> But yeah, so the partner usually has their own, you know, role. And so there's not necessarily, not that, again, not that your partner can't do this, but there's not necessarily someone there to advocate for the mom, advocate for the person giving birth and who is, who's very occupied um, and can't always advocate for themselves. And then if the partner is, you know, the partner may be doing a thousand other things, which also need to be done. And so the doula is really there to focus on what the birthing person needs and what the partner needs, um, throughout the process. Does this primarily happen in someone's home? Oh, no. Doulas can, doulas are usually, well, no, doulas can work with any kind of birth. It doesn't matter if they're at home or in a hospital. Um, and people might think like, oh yeah, the doctors and the nurses are there for me in the hospital. I don't, I don't need a doula. Um, but like I said, their job is to, they are working for the hospital. They are not necessarily there to advocate for you um, in that time and in that space. And then also with um, like staff turnovers and things like that, you might not be um, be able to cultivate an intimate relationship with those medical professionals um, that you can uh, have with a doula. And so when you, your doula will also help you prepare for birth. So walk you through exactly what happens, um, you know, with contractions and with, you know, how you know labor has started and all that fun stuff. Um, so that when it is happening, you're prepared, you've practiced your breathing techniques, you've practiced your laboring positions, you have your bag packed, you're prepared to give birth and you know exactly what to expect. And you also know what your, what your options are, what your responsibilities and what your rights are um, as, a, as a birthing person. Because a lot of times, um, especially with people of color, we don't, um, we don't know when to ask questions we don't know what questions to ask we don't know like um when we can say no or when we can say can you give me a minute to think about this um and sometimes we you know a doctor or a professional might tell us something and we don't know that we have the power to say okay let's pause for a minute and think about it or let me do some research or what have you and a doula can really empower you um not only by you know, we, we work with you in advance to kind of think through a lot of those different things so that if, you know, a conversation comes up about um, being induced, you know what an induction is, you know what, what that means. And sometimes in the spur of the moment, um, you know, a doctor might say, we need to rupture your, your, uh, your membranes. And you might not know what that means, but you might not know to ask 
rupture your what rupture your membranes means can you walk me through what that process looks like how long would it take what are the pros and cons to that you know it's yeah doula can really empower you to um, think through your options as far as birthing and labor and delivery and then also know um, yeah what your power is in the situation and what you can um, control and what you can't control and kind of help you um, think through those different scenarios so that you can be prepared. Well, that's incredible because I wish I'd had one for my first birth because I, uh, <laughs> I <clears throat> had an, a 16 hour labor and I never dilated okay. past three. And uh, yeah. And um, I was, my gynecologist at the time was a teaching doctor. So all of her students would come in and check to see if my cervix had, you know, opened up yet. And if I had dilated, and one particular uh, fellow uh, felt like he stuck his fist up me and was like, well, you, you, oh you, and I was like, don't do that right now. I'm having a contraction. And I kept saying, not now, don't do it now. And he did it anyway. And I, I was like, I told you not to do it. And he said, well, if you can't handle this, how are you going to have this baby? And I said, get the, a few and a few choice words out of my out of my room. Do not come back in here. You are not welcome. Get out now. Oh my goodness. And, you know, even though I was saying, don't do it right now, don't do it right now. My mother was in the room. My, my husband at the time was in the room. There were other medical profession professionals in the room. No one spoke up for me. Mm. So I can certainly see that what you, what you are, uh, what you do is it, it would be an incredible asset for someone to have especially if, I mean, my, you know, my mom was of the age that, you know, whatever the medical professionals do, you just do, right? You don't, you right. don't question the medical, that's her generation. Exactly. And certainly exactly. not mine. And usually my doctor cringes when he sees me come in the door, but, or she, <laughs> because I'm like, no, you need to figure something else out. But anyway, that's a different podcast, but, but certainly <laughs> uh, I, I would have really been, happy to have someone yeah. like you in the room with me for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that you have that experience. Yeah, it was pretty and, awful. Oh, well, I just want to like note that birth trauma is real and birth trauma is unfortunately extremely common. Um, and it's, it's valid. And, you know, I, I don't know if people ever it, sometimes, Oh, it's not that bad. Or, Oh, you know, I said no, but they didn't stop or, you know, that is a violation of consent. Um, you know, if we're talking about consent culture and we're talking about all these things, um, you know, you sometimes medical professionals will do things in a way that they don't ask for consent. Oh, we're, we're, we're going to check your cervix now instead of may I check your cervix. Um, and it is your right to have that consent. So I, I do want to um, pull that out. And, I, and again, I'm sorry that you have that experience and, that, and you shouldn't have. Um, and I, yeah, like, a doula's power is not only in advocating for um, birthing people and families, but also in um, helping you advocate for yourselves. But then also, yeah, with something like that, that's just, that's a, egregious that that even happened. So I, yeah, I'm sorry <laughs> that happened. But, well. It was certainly, uh, so, so I understand that when you, you know, you're in the heat of the moment and you've had, you've been in labor for 16 hours and, and hungry, somebody comes in and says, 
Well, yeah. And somebody comes in and says, uh, we're going to do this that you just kind of, at that point, you're like, okay, just get it over with. And I, I, those were my exact words. I was like, my doctor came in and said, well, the baby's heart rate's going down. So we're going to, I think we're going to have to do a cesarean. I don't think it's good for us to keep trying to stay in labor and do this, you know, naturally. And my question was, my only question was how long will it be when it's over? And she said 30 minutes. And I was like, do it. But it's because I was so exhausted. I mean, I just didn't really have any any willpower to absolutely you know, continue to power through. But I didn't. Ha- I didn't absolutely. ask any questions. I didn't say like, well, you know, what does this mean for recovery, or what does this mean for mm-hmm. you know the next birth, or what what's yeah. the scar going to be like, or yeah, not that the scar the really matters more what's... than the child, but what's that going to be like for the baby, or yeah, you know, I, absolutely. Not, none of those, none of those questions popped in my head. At that point, I just wanted it to be, I just wanted to be done. And I wanted people to stop sticking their hands at my, you know, vagina for sure. So, uh, and people I, I didn't know and had never met before, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I also didn't realize was going to be a thing. I knew she was Mm -hmm. a teaching doctor, but I did not realize that I was going to be like the class guinea pig that day. So, yeah. And, that definitely like they should have asked your consent for that too like are you okay with and that's and maybe you sign you know they give you all the forms to sign and you just not possible totally possible yeah yeah so it's just between the forms and the and the procedures that they don't explain they don't explain they don't even say can i yeah they'll just say well time to check your cervix and and the, the the scare tactics with the yeah that's usually what they what they hit you with is like oh the baby's heart rate is is going down and you know we think heart rate going down okay we have to do something right now you know they 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 use your love and care for your baby almost against you because they're like well the baby's heart rate's going down we have to do a c-section and it's like wait do we have to do a c-section what are other options Mm-hmm. You know, is this, and to a certain extent, like your baby is going through that labor too. So to a certain extent, some um, heart rate deceleration is actually normal. Um, mm-hmm. Now, if it's plummeting, you know, that's different, but some variation in heart rate is normal because your baby is being pushed through a 10 centimeter birth canal. So, right. you know, the baby's body is going to be um, experiencing some fluctuations as well. But if they're, you know, so I think, that's a question. One of the first questions is, you know, can you give me more information about baby's heart rate going down? Is it during contractions or is it, you know, is the baby, does the baby seem to be in distress? Is it within a normal range? Um, because sometimes, yeah, they'll say that phrase or a similar phrase and like that automatically triggers our, oh my goodness, get the baby out now. I want the baby to be safe, of course, like do whatever you have to do. Um, and that, I hate to say it's coercion, but it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, it's really frustrating to see that happening, um, with sure. folks in labor and delivery. And I, I, I think it's just an egregious, um, human rights violation, if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. um, that these things are happening to, you know, majority adults, um, without their consent or without, um, ex- explaining a procedure. If you were, you know, if you went to, have a physical and they said, Oh, well, you have a heart murmur. This is what a heart murmur is. And this is how we treat it. And this is what this is. And, you know, they would explain those things. Or if you had cancer, they'd say you have, you know, myeloma and this is what this means. And this is how we treat it. And so the only 
difference that I see with labor and delivery is that one, the majority of the folks who come through are women um, and our society has a terrible track record with, you know, respecting and valuing women's bodies. Um, And then two, that there is an urgency, a sense of urgency with labor and delivery um, that I think sometimes folks use to their advantage. Um, Yeah. So I could talk about that all day. Um, I can totally see how that, how that is. Absolutely. And for sure that, you know, uh, it, I, I'm hoping that we've moved away from it, but for sure the attitude of, well, you, I, I'm the doctor, you're having a baby. I've delivered this many babies. I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Just let me do it. And you sit back and breathe. Right. Yep. <clears throat> yep. So def- definitely that has been, has been a thing. And I'm hoping that it's, it's not going to continue to be part of the normal practice but you know we as a people we 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 change but it's very very slow it is it is very slow it's very slow at changing a few generations at a time we make some progress but anyway so tell tell me about uh uh your your hope for a center and what that what that would look like um what do you what are your what are your dreams for that yeah so I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of ideas um, because there are a lot of things that people need that I just haven't seen um, implemented in society. So one thing that I would love to have is like a drop-in daycare of some sort, um, like last last minute childcare. I don't know how that would work. Maybe have like drop-in hours or something and, you know, you fill out the form and you know, because sometimes you have a job interview or your babysitter gets sick or you, you know, whatever it is, like life happens. Mm-hmm. And like we've seen, um, there was a mom in, I want to say in like Florida, probably Florida, um, that she was interviewing for a job at the mall and she left her kids uh, in the um, food court. Do you remember that story a couple of years ago? Oh, I was afraid you were going to say the car. Oh, no, no, no. I think she left okay. her kids in the food court and they were, they were old enough, oh you know, maybe like elementary age to like kind of look out for each other, but not old enough to really be left alone. Sure. Uh, and I might be getting the story wrong. I apologize if I am, but she left her kids in the food court and then they ended up um, either taking her kids away from her or like arresting her or something. Um, and, you know, things like that if we have, again, if we have community, that's why I think community is really important because community, you know, back in the day was mom, sister, aunt, grandma, whoever, hey mom, can you watch the kids for two hours? I have this job interview today or you know, tomorrow, next week, whatever. And more and more people are moving away from where they're from. More and more people are, um, for whatever reason, just not in the physical vicinity of, of the people that we would traditionally lean on for that. So then, I really want to help folks um, be able to build those communities um, authentically so that it will stick because, you know, there's nothing worse than like forced fun where you just throw a bunch of people in a room and force them to interact with each other. Um, (laughs) But so my events are really, I try really hard to not have that um, for folks to be able to authentically connect with each other and, um, and so like, I would love to have an event space. I would love to have that drop-in daycare. Um, I would love to have like an after-school program or something like so many things that I would love to see. Like if it was like a YMCA 
but mine and I could do whatever I want, it would probably be up like an after school program, drop in daycare, event space, um, maybe like a bookstore coffee shop thing that could be cool. Um, but really what I want it to be is to be a physical hub for folks to connect with other families like them, um, whether it's um, LGBTQ families, they come and we have, um, right now we have an event. It's, it's like quarterly every three months, um, but right now with COVID it hasn't happened, but it's a queer and trans family event where folks can come together if the parents are queer or trans, if the kids are queer or trans, like multi-generational, right. we get together, we, but we play games. We don't, we're not having deep conversations all the time. Yes, we, we have a discussion portion, but we're also playing games and we're also doing light fun things because you need, with, within a community, you need both. You can't just have the heavy conversations or else yeah. it's not fun. You know, there has to be a reason for people to want to come back. And so if you're spending time with folks that you like to be around, you're doing things that are fun and interesting, um, then you're more likely to come back. And the more mm -hmm. that people come back, the more consistent that community gets um, mm -hmm. and the, the deeper those ties get with each other. And then that's when you, they can break off and have their organic like, oh yeah, come over for dinner and play dates with the kids and whatever <clears throat> else. And so it's really just a hub for, to, to begin those conversations and to begin those, um, those authentic relationships to kind of give them a, a solid foundation. Um, I just kind of, bring people together and then the magic happens and, and yeah. folks have found all types of connections through events. So it's been really awesome to see. That, that's, that's great. I, 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 so I'm going to say something and you can totally tell me if this offends you. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she says, I know I'm a little nervous, but it's yeah, all good. I'm sorry. But, uh, okay. So it, when you're talking about that, I'm, I'm thinking, I grew up in uh, kind of in, is Nashville, Tennessee. That's where I'm from. Oh, me and, too. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. we can talk about that later. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and um, you know, there were people of color. I, I don't know if that's a really great phrase or not, but there were certainly lots of black students in our school, right? Mm -hmm. But they stayed in their part of the cafeteria and we stayed in ours and it was, you know, pretty shitty. But, mm -hmm. uh, but, but, um, you know, through sports and things like that, music, those kinds of activities, you know, we, we did get together and I did notice that, that the black community, what what you're describing is something they did at church right the church was their sense of community and their sense of the aunties and people who who they pitched in and helped each other and everybody got together at the, at the at the church community now here's where here's what i'm going to say that might offend you okay. i don't know i can always edit this out if it does okay but i'm thinking that of the black gay folks that I know that I'm friends with, they are okay. not accepted in their culture's churches. Mm. And so they don't have what you're talking about. They don't have a place that they can go and especially transgender black folks cannot go Absolutely. to their churches. Their churches do not accept them. Am I off on that? 
No, you're right on the money. No, I was okay. waiting for something really bad. So that this is good. Um, well, I mean, I'm speaking from a wide experience, so I can't say, oh, I know this about black churches. Right. I don't. I, don't. Right. I mean, I've been to black right. churches, but that doesn't mean that I know it intimately. So I'm not going to talk about stuff right. I don't really know. As a white person, I should probably just shut up. But but I'm, <laughs> but I am because I can't talk about the black experience and for me to even try is stupid. But, but I, but I have to say that I, you know, just from observing and being a person, right. I'm a preacher's kid. And mm. you know, when, when my, my family needed to do something or whatever, I was carted off to somebody in churches, you know, in our church's home, right? Like I, mm -hmm. you're going to go stay with the Smiths or whatever. And, right. um, you know, so I know that churches tend to be that sense of community for a group and certainly church runs deep mm -hmm. in black culture. So I do know that. Um, but, yeah. but, but if you're not accepted in your church that you grew up in because of your identity, then, right. then something like your, your center would be very important for, for it, people who are are uh, need a sense of community but but that's been taken from them because they've come out you know so right and that's yeah no you're right on the on the mark so and I appreciate you saying that um, about you know not being able to speak for um, our culture but it is yeah if your church is and I you know I can't speak for every church obviously but um, you know if your church is unaccepting if your family is unaccepting a lot right. of um thankfully this is changing as the generations um as millennials become parents uh -huh. but for a lot of us millennials our parents may not you know may have kicked them out may have kicked people yeah. out you know when they were right. um, absolutely young may have cut them off yeah. may have you know abused them or, or what have you and so you know their families might not be a safe space let alone their churches right. and yeah a lot of times what we see in church what we see what i've seen in church i can only speak for myself um is that you know if you are gay or if you are trans or if you identify in this way that's not um within this binary like people won't say anything, but if you act on it, and by acting on it, if you are in a relationship with someone of the same gender, if you, um, if you are trans and you decide to wear a certain type of clothing to church on Sunday, then all of a sudden, like whatever's happening in your head, it's kind of like whatever's happening inside can stay inside, but as soon as it comes outside and we have to deal with right. it, then all of a sudden, like it's a problem. Um, and so, but that silence also hurts um, because it's a, it can be a, like an ignoring. Um, and so sure. I've talked to, so we have, you know, we think about like queer and trans families. Um, so say, you know, your family may have, um, you know, disowned you or cut you off or you cut them off because it wasn't a healthy relationship or whatever the case is. And then you decide to have kids or, you know, you're, you're getting married maybe, or you're in a long-term relationship with someone and you know maybe maybe they came to the wedding the family came to the wedding and everything was great but then all of a sudden you say hey mom we are we're starting the process of an, of adopting or hey mom we have a 
you know, a, a vial of sperm coming in the mail next week and we're going to see what happens or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, you probably wouldn't Mm -hmm. say that to your mom, but, um, you know, yeah, you say those things and all of a sudden then like your parents are like, okay, it's fine if you as adults want to be gay or want to be trans or whatever, but you're bringing a baby into it. And so then it becomes this alienating experience when you wanted right. it to be a joyful experience. You right. wanted your family to be excited and throw a baby shower mm-hmm. and do all mm-hmm. the things that family is supposed to do. And now all of a sudden they're like, no, like it's okay if you do it, but bringing a kid into it. And for some reason that's really hard for people to like, cause I think people still think of being um, LGBTQ as like sexual deviance. And so it's like, you're bringing a child into this hotbed of sin and it's, like, you know, it's like any other family, we're cooking dinner and we're going to the park and like, but, you know, unfortunately there are some really deep seated um, prejudices that folks have. Um, And so, yeah, it's really hard for those, it's really hard for those couples, for those families to, um, to thrive because they might not have that extended family support or they might not have um, yeah, that church or that, like, that center point for community. And so luckily in Atlanta, thankfully in Atlanta, there are a lot of affirming um, churches for LGBTQ folks, either like outright affirming or churches that were, that were founded and are um, led by LGBTQ folks. Uh-huh. And so thankfully here, there are a lot of communities like that. But again, for some folks, you know, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you grew up Christian, and you decided not to become one. um, Or that you decided, you know, that Christianity wasn't for you, or whatever the case is. um, Then there's that piece of like, well, if we don't have church, then yeah, where do we go? And I kind of had an, I don't want to call it an epiphany, but I kind of had a realization a few days ago, I've been reading a lot of fiction from um, like the mid 1900s, like the 1930s through maybe like 60s um, from a black perspective, because I think we lose sometimes that um, the day to day life, like what day to day life looked like back then for black folks. But anyways, I was listening to one story and they were saying, oh, we're having the community meeting at the church because it's the only place that can hold that many people. So a lot of the historical reasons why the church is the hub for everything is just because the building was big enough, um, which I think is really funny. Um, And I think um, we're seeing in current movements like this divestment um, from the church as the hub for, for collective events and for groupings and different things. Like you can just have, you don't have to have a church barbecue. You can just have a barbecue at the park, you know, or whatever the case is. So people kind of, a lot of older folks, I think, are kind of turned away from from our current civil rights movement um, because of that, because the church isn't the center point. And so I just think that's like an interesting historical thing that, yeah, the church is traditionally the the center point of community, but really because it was the only building big enough that we had access to. Um, so it doesn't have to be the center of everything. And, you know, it yeah, Christianity is huge for Black folks, but that just means that the ones of us who aren't Christian feel even more alienated from the community. And so, um, yeah, creating spaces that aren't centered around like a specific religious identity uh, was really important for me as well. Um, And so, yeah, having those um, 
spaces being centered around our, our identities as LGBTQ folks has been really, um, has been really nice because it kind of, it, like it, because we have a commonality, like it's a little bit easier for us to, for us to connect. Um, because I was, you know, when I, when I decided to put together family events for LGBTQ families, I was thinking about it like, okay, if you go to a regular family event, it's again, it's going to be very straight. It's going to be very much, oh, my husband, my wife, my son, my daughter. And it's like, here's my gender non-conforming kid, the one in the tutu in the corner. Like, it just doesn't, you know, you might not fit in in those spaces. And then a lot of the LGBTQ events are not family friendly necessarily. They're events for adults which I completely get and you know those spaces should absolutely exist but those family spaces and those intergenerational spaces those kid-friendly places spaces don't exist and so you know it's really important for LGBTQ kids to see adults who are thriving who have similar identities but we don't have a lot of those intergenerational spaces um, and certainly kids who may have uh, you know, like sex parents, right? I and mean, all their friends Absolutely. have a mom and a dad or whatever, and they have two dads or they have two moms. And even though they may act like they don't feel different or uh, feel odd about it, you you know that it's, it's something that really sticks out. I mean, I hope we can get to the day that, you know, someday that nobody cares about any of that. And they just care about families being together and, and being happy yeah. and being healthy. And that, none of the other stuff matters. I hope we get there. So, so yeah. tell us where we can find, you know, information about you and information about your events. Tell us your, your webpage and. Yeah. Um, so my website is being renovated right now. So um, I'm directing people mostly to my Instagram. Um, you can find me there at Kaluntu RJC, K-U-L-U-N-T-U-R-J-C. And then you can also find us on Facebook, uh, Kaluntu Reproductive Justice Center. Um, and I believe it's just facebook.com slash RJC. So same spelling um, as the Instagram. And so, and you can also email me, uh, kaluntu.rjc at gmail.com. Um, I'm also, I'm gonna shamelessly plug my current project. Um, do it as a response to the um, the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests. I am uh, creating and distributing postpartum care packages for Black moms. So it is open to any uh, Black mom in the U.S. And I'm taking donations for um, shipping and for care package items. That's great. Um, you can sign up for a postpartum care package either uh, it's in my Instagram bio, the link, um, or it's on Facebook um, as well. Or you can email me and just say, hey, I'd like to um, apply for a postpartum care package and I can send you the link. Um, and then if you'd like to donate um, either physical items, like if you make bath bombs or something, um, or donate funds, you can donate to me through PayPal, um, the same email, kaluntu.rjc at gmail.com, and it's paypal.me slash kaluntu.rjc, or cash app, dollar sign kaluntu.rjc, cash.app slash kaluntu.rjc. I've been typing this a lot lately, so it's like yeah, right, right. On the top of my head. Right. Well, it will um, be in our notes. 
It'll be in our notes. Awesome. So perfect. People perfect, can perfect. go to the web to the website higherNotesWithDrB.com, and yes, uh, you'll find all of these links in in the notes. Okay, perfect. Well, uh, yeah. So I'm really excited about the postpartum care packages. We're putting them together tomorrow, actually, and shipping out the first uh, the first round within the next week. So That's yeah, I'm great. really excited to be. Have um, you had a lot of people sign up? Uh, I've had about like between 25 and 30 last time I looked. That's um, good. So not, yeah, not an overwhelming number because it is just me, um, but a, a manageable number for now, but I do want to mm -hmm. do some more rounds for folks who are mm -hmm. uh, giving birth a little bit later in the year. So we're going to do it by chronological um, due date basically. So um, try to get it to folks closer to when they're giving birth so that it's not just like sitting around for three months. Right. Um, right. Cause there is, there are some items in there that should be used fairly soon. Uh, like teas uh -huh. and different things like that. Uh -huh. So, well, thank you so much Kai for being on the show and thank you for educating us about so many things. And I'm glad I could be on here and I'm really excited to have had this conversation and, um, yeah, I can't wait to hear from y'all about what you thought about it. Join me again next week for a new podcast featuring the amazingly talented Stacy Sullivan. Also, please go to the website highnoteswithdrb.com for any podcast notes. I would also be so grateful if you would please rate, subscribe, and tell a friend about this podcast. Your support would mean so much. Thank you for listening. Sending you all peace, love, and courage.